I grew up in a home where relationships were difficult. Without getting into any details, let's say we were somewhat of a blended family of varying ages who each had our own struggles. And throughout most of my life, I always remember there's always in some kind of way some tension in my family. Now, most of the struggles, most of the uh, tension came were caused by either my mother or my father or both at the same time. My father was my stepfather and he had grown up in a home where he had experienced a lot of physical and emotional abuse and he decided it was okay to pass that on to me. My mother wasn't abusive, but she suffered from um, depression, deep depression, which sometimes caused her to become so paranoid and so angry and so judgmental you couldn't even be around her for very long. Sadly, it always seemed that she had a grudge against someone in the family, and I always felt it was ironic that her name was Grace. Grace can be a difficult concept to understand. The basic definition of grace is simply a special favor or privilege. In terms of interpersonal relationships, we usually define grace as a response of compassion from one human being to another. But even Webster's Dictionary goes beyond that, defining grace also as unmerited divine assistance. We often call this kind of grace a God thing. Uh, yes, in this definition, there's more often than not a contradiction to what we see in the world about grace. If, if God is the God of grace, then why is there so much struggle and hurt and violence and war and pain and suffering and depression and abuse and war and death in our lives? Is this really God's unmerited divine assistance? The real issue at hand is that in order to understand what that means, we need to understand how God calls himself and defines grace. The Bible tells us God uses one word for that, Jesus. Jesus is grace. His birth is the reason that we celebrate this season of God's grace, which we call Christmas. We gather t together tonight because by the grace of God, God himself came into the world in the form of Jesus. And by his grace, he rescued us from all of the hurt and the anger and the suffering and depression and abuse and division and war and death and struggles in families. Titus uh, got, got a letter from the Apostle Paul that talked about this. For the grace of God has appeared, he said, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The first few words here 
for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, is the purpose where we are here tonight. Because right after the beginning of creation, the divinely created relationship between God and human beings was broken when the first people on earth rejected God and rebelled against God. And ever since, ever since, we have struggles in our relationships. But immediately after humanity sinned against God, God promised that by his grace, he would give us unmerited divine assistance. He would send a a savior into the world to rescue us and to repair us and to redeem us and to restore us back into the relationship with God that we were created for. This season is the grace that God has appeared for salvation for all people. Eugene O'Neill once said, man is broken, he lives his life by mending, but the grace of God is the glue. Grace is the glue that God uses in healing us of our wounds, wounds that uh, have their source in sin, and we experience all this in our broken lives. It is a special favor and privilege of God's mercy and love and forgiveness and restoration, that undeservedness that he gives us his grace. God displays his favor and love and mercy and grace for us, even in our worst times. The meaning of God's grace culminates with Jesus on the cross. Here we see that God came in the form of an infant and as he grew into a man, he lived among us so he could, we could learn from him and see the character in the heart of God. Then in one single act of grace, violent grace, Jesus sacrificed his life on a cross in our place to pay the penalty for our rebellion and rejection of God. The picture of a dying Christ pleading for the mercy for the people who are putting him to death is the picture of God's grace. Most of you know the song, Amazing Grace. Most of us know John Newton wrote these words for that song in about 1760 in the midst of being perpetually haunted by the thoughts that he had of the over 20,000 Africans that he had taken in captivity for slavery. At the age of 11, John Newton set sail for the first time and for the next 30 years, he sold and traded slaves in Africa and to West India. It's reported that at times he was such a wretched man that his crew regarded him more than an animal. One time he fell overboard and his ship's crew refused to drop a boat to him. Instead, they threw a harpoon at him and they drug him back to the ship. In March of 1748, John Newton found himself in his most desperate situation of his life. During the voyage, the crew had repeatedly heard his bitter boasting that he did not believe in God, and he lashed himself to the front mast during a storm, daring God to strike him dead. Well, they they became overwhelmed by a mountainous wave of an Atlantic Ocean storm, And as the ship began leaking and listing, in a moment of weakness and terror, John Newton uttered these words, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Those words from his mouth shook him to think he would stoop so low as to ask for for hope from God. 
By the time the storm ended, the rigging had been blown away. No, no, no navigation was possible. Seven days of drifting with no land. Ultimately, the captain and the crew believed that John Newton was really Jonah from the Bible and made plans to throw him overboard. But by God's grace, it didn't happen. And it was at that point that John Newton finally broke and gave his heart to Jesus. Four weeks later, that crippled ship made port in Ireland, and there Newton went to a church, made public his faith, became a powerful preacher and a great songwriter. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but I am now found. I was blind, but now I see. Friends, without God's grace, we would cease to exist. Amen. By God's grace, our hearts continue to beat. By God's grace, we are breathing at this very moment. By God's grace, we can think and hear and talk and sing and sneeze and laugh. By God's grace, he initiates love and moves hearts and stirs emotions and he heals hurts and restores hope. Without God's grace, the world would cease to exist. God's grace causes babies to smile and flowers to grow and fish to swim and rain to fall and even makes dogs bark. The Bible says that God is before all things and in him all things hold together. And in him, we read, we live and move and have our being. It's by God's grace. What has happened to us and what is happening to us and what will happen to us is all by God's grace. We worry and we work and we push and we grab and we fight for the things that we have in life. But who we are and where we are and everything that we have is all by God's grace. Though we may sometimes seem to acutely be aware of times when God allows pain to come into our lives, we are rarely aware of how often that by his grace he has kept so many things from happening to us that would kill us or uh, put us in a place that we would not come back from, all by God's grace. In the midst of a time in the Apostle Paul's greatest suffering, Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. That's true in this life. And that's true within life to come because it's by God's grace that we have a greater grace beyond this life here too. As a kid, I learned to play hockey on the frozen ponds of, uh, and lakes of Minnesota during the winter months. After you played for a while on that kind of ice, the ice gets pretty rough and gouged and cracked. A few bumps here and there. Often, as you would be playing the game, you'd hit one of these cracks or holes and send you sprawling in your face, bruising your knee. Not only is it hard to skate on, but it's a challenge to pass the puck, too. There's no Zamboni, so you finally learn to live with the bumps and the bruises and the frustrations that came with rough ice. You've come to learn that you not only are playing hockey against the other team, you're also playing against the ice. And then I remember the first day I got to go inside a real hockey rink. Man, that first skate just was as smooth as hell. 
No ruts, no bumps, no gouges. Skating was like floating on air. You could do things on the rink you couldn't do on a pond. You only tripped and fell if it was from somebody checking you rather than you being checked. Now, you didn't play against the ice. You played against the other team. You never thought about the ice. And you know what? At the end of the period, if the ice got bad, the Zamboni would come right out and make it smooth again. God's grace is like that. Without God's grace, life would be really, really tough. Without, grace, our, uh, without the grace of God, our minds would be constantly focused on the ruts and the bumps and the gouges and the cracks in our lives. God's grace frees us from that frustration. His grace is more than sufficient for us. Without the grace of God, it, our lives would be so hard and we would have no hope. In 1 Peter 1.13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Tonight we celebrate that hope. Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul writes to us, For God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people to rescue and to repair and to restore our relationship with God and with one another. The grace of God in the coming of Christ is that God's grace in Jesus Christ will be more than sufficient, not only in our relationships, but through every moment of our lives. In this season of gift-giving, I pray that you would receive the gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. His grace is not only sufficient for skating through rough, frozen ponds in our lives, but even more than sufficient to play in the bigger game in the rinks of eternal life beyond this world. The life of John Newton will tell us that in the midst of life, it may seem at times that our boats are sinking and the storms around us are all overwhelming but by God's grace in Jesus Christ, we will safely arrive on the shore. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Father, we bless you for sending grace into our lives through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, tonight if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would uh, speak to them and open their hearts and allow them, Lord, to, to know your grace rather than the troubles that we have in life. And we celebrate also the coming of Jesus Christ in our lives and in the world, and we also celebrate that someday we will be with him in heaven forever. In the meantime, Lord, we bless you and love you for all this more than sufficient grace 
that you pour into our lives for your glory and our good. And all God's people said, amen.